Um, tonight we're going to start a little series looking at uh, events in the life of Samuel, uh, the prophet Samuel, and we're looking at sort of lessons from the life of Samuel. Uh, and so the best place to start is always at the beginning. And so we're, we're turning uh, to God's Word and we're looking at 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1 this evening. Uh, and it's, it's on page 271, uh, 271 if you do want to follow uh, in one of the Bibles under the seats in front of you. So we're, we're reading uh, from 1 Samuel Uh, Chapter 1, and reading from verse 1. It says, There was a certain man from Ramathan, a Zephite from the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other one Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then they went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. Amen.
In, in our Bibles, the, the book of Samuel comes just a few pages after the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, it paints the backdrop for Samuel. Samuel was born into the, the period of time recorded in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, it tells us the, the, the state of the nation, if you like. Uh, the, the, the type of society that Samuel was born into. And, and if we turn back a couple of pages to the very last verse of Judges, in the book of Judges, it says, In those days, Israel had no king. Israel had no king. So we, we find Samuel being uh, born into this period. So since Israel had come up out of captivity in, uh, in Egypt, God had set them free from captivity in Egypt and up into the promised land. Uh, and there they had, had leaders who, uh, who had defended them against attack from this ever-present enemies around them. They had some leaders who weren't great, yes, but they also had some wonderful leaders. They had some people like, like Joshua who succeeded Moses. Like, like, the, like Deborah the prophetess and Gideon the mighty warrior. Great leaders for the people. But at this period in their history that we're looking at tonight, Israel had no king. Israel had no leader. And so there was great political instability in the nation. It tells us also that in the book of Judges, that in those days everyone saw, everyone did as he saw fit. So not only do we have great political instability as a backdrop, we have everyone doing as they please. It's a little verse that comes up time and time again in Judges. It says, everyone did as he saw fit. Everyone did what he liked. Everyone just pleased him or herself. Even the spiritual leaders. You see this old priest, Eli, that is mentioned here. He has two sons, and they're both mentioned as well, Hophni and Phinehas. And they were priests too, and, and yet in 1 Samuel 2, it tells us that they were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. That's what it tells us. And it goes on to tell us that when people would come up to the temple to make worship and to make sacrifice, these priests would take the food off the people, the food offerings, and eat it themselves. They would take it by force. And eat it themselves. They were mugging the people who came to worship. And then they were committing blasphemy by treating this, this offering in such a contemptuous way. Chapter 2 of Samuel 1 goes on to tell us that, that these priests were sleeping with the women who were serving at the entrance of the temple of meeting. The tent of meeting. So we had mugging, blasphemy, immorality. And that was just the religious leaders. Everyone did as he saw fit. So these were days of great immorality. Great immorality. You see, Samuel lived about a thousand years before Christ. And in the time of Samuel, the people of God had, had been in the promised land for a few hundred years. And they'd sort of forgotten about what God had done for them. They, they'd, they'd just turned their backs on God by now. It, it tells us in 1 Samuel 3 that in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. The word of the Lord was rare. You see, God had given his people his word, his teaching, his commandments, the first five books of the Bible, and they were supposed to, to live his way. But they weren't. No, instead they were living godless lives. The word of the Lord was rare, and it was rare because it was neither preached, nor listened for, nor obeyed. All people had just turned away from God, forgotten about him, 
didn't pay attention to him anymore. And so this was also a time of great godlessness in the nation. Political instability, immorality, godlessness. Does this sound familiar? You see, I think we have much to learn from the book of Samuel. And I think God will will teach us much and speak to us much over these next few weeks if we will have ears to listen. So as we start to look at this book of Samuel, um, we, we have a rather sad and depressing picture really in front of us. But we also see something wonderful and beautiful. Something wonderful and beautiful that should fill us with hope and joy. For into the middle of this instability, this immorality, and this godlessness, God is on the move. God is on the move. God is moving once again to bring new life, to bring resurrection, restoration to his people. And we will go on through the, to see in this book of Samuel that a child will be conceived. Uh, 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 the boy will be born, the prophet will preach, kings will be crowned, and the nation will be changed. But I guess the question that we want to ask ourselves tonight is, where did this whole process all begin? And I want to suggest that we have the answer in verse 10. For it tells us there that Hannah prayed to the Lord. Hannah prayed to the Lord. God is on the move and he's moving to transform the nation and to call the people back to himself, but it all begins with one lady, one lady in prayer. And yes, God will move through Samuel and through others, but I'd like tonight to look at how God starts to work out his plans to restore the whole nation back to himself through this one lady in prayer. Hannah. In the midst of a godless society, Hannah is a woman of God. And Hannah is therefore a woman of prayer. You see, I don't know about you, but it seems to me like that we live in days like Samuel's. And I think if Robin Mark was writing another verse for his hymn, Days of Elijah, he would say, and these are days like Samuel's. Days of instability, immorality, godlessness. But don't we so want to see God moving once again, moving once again in this nation by his spirit at work in our lives and at work in the life of our nation? Don't we long to see God to be at work in our own lives, filling us with faith and hope and love afresh? Don't we long to see God raising up his church full of grace and truth to proclaim and obey his word? Don't we long to see a nation that turns back to God, back to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and gives him the glory? Because if we do, if we do, then I believe that we need to start where Hannah started. We need to start in prayer. So what sort of prayer did Hannah pray? What sort of prayer will God hear and answer? What sort of prayer will change our lives and the life of our nation? Well, firstly, we see from our reading that Hannah's prayer was a prayer from a broken heart. It was a prayer from a broken heart. 
Oh, in verse 10, it tells us that she prayed in bitterness of soul. In verse 11, she pleads for the Lord to look upon your servant's misery. In verse 15, she says, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. And in verse 16, she says, I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Instability, immorality, godlessness in wider society at this time. But there was also this tremendous personal pain in Hannah's heart. Maybe that's something that you can identify with here tonight. Yes, the state of the world around us may concern us. But perhaps it's a real personal pain that is breaking your heart tonight. So what is Hannah's pain? It tells us in verse 2 that Hannah's husband, Elkanah, he has two wives, Peninnah and Hannah. Now this is not uncommon in Old Testament times. But it tells us simply that Peninnah had children and Hannah had none. You see, Hannah longed for a child and she had none and this broke her heart. And right there to add insult to injury was the cruel Peninnah. Hannah was barren, but Peninnah, she just seemed to have a child every time she turned. And she just couldn't keep from taunting Hannah about her inability to bear children. And you see, verse 3, it tells us that Elkanah took his family up to Shiloh to worship in the temple. And this should have been a joyful occasion for the whole family. But every year, Peninnah used it to mock and taunt Hannah. And and it was year after year. It tells us verse 7, this went on year after year. Whenever she went up to the house of the Lord, it says, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Oh, and her husband, Elkanah. Oh, he does his best to try and comfort Hannah, doesn't he? But it's this embarrassingly male sort of comfort that he offers her. He asks her, Hannah, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? And he asks her as though he doesn't already know full well the answer to the questions. But isn't this last question just the icing on the cake? I think this is a great one. He asks Hannah, Hannah, but don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Oh boy, isn't Hannah a lucky lady? (laughs) To have Elkanah as her comforter. And you see, her husband is actually really only adding to her pain. And her pain drives Hannah to prayer. It tells us in verse 10 that that in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. We, We learn that she wept in bitterness of soul. It seemed to her that she just couldn't take any more. It was just too much to bear. Hannah's first response, you see, was tears. Her first response was tears. Others may have come with burnt offerings, but she came with a broken heart. But you know, David tells us in Psalm 51 that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So Hannah offered the shattered pieces of her heart to God. Hers was a prayer from a broken heart. Maybe something is breaking your heart tonight. 
Maybe it is barrenness. Maybe it is loneliness, strained relationships, illness, bereavement, unemployment, financial concerns, doubts, fears. Maybe it's the state of our nation, the the political instability, the immorality, the godlessness that we see all around us. In fact, it may even be the state of our own sinful hearts that grieves us here tonight. Whatever it is, well, we can join with Hannah and we can take it to the Lord in prayer. And we will have a time just after this talk for a time of silent prayer and an opportunity to do that. But secondly, we see that Hannah's prayer was a prayer of surrender. Verse 11, and she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant. You see, twice here Hannah describes herself as God's servant. She presents herself to him as his servant to do whatever he wants her to do. Oh, doubtless she had prayed many times for a child, but now she submits it all into God's hands. And in verse 15, when Eli thought she was drunk, she said, No, not so, my Lord, for I have, been drink- I have not been drinking wine or beer, but I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Hannah was surrendering herself. Hannah was casting her burdens onto Jesus. 1 Peter 5 invites believers to cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. And Hannah's prayer was so focused on God that that it was able to withstand this understanding of of Eli, of the highest religious leader in the land. But the result of our conversation with Eli we see in verse 17. It says here, Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant what you have asked of him. And she said, and she went away her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. You see, having spent time with God in prayer, having poured out our soul to the Lord, having surrendered everything to Him, she went away in peace. Isn't there a lesson here for us tonight as well? You see, this is a commentary on that well-known passage in Philippians 4 where the Apostle Paul tells us to do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And you see, you might expect that verse to go on to say, and your prayers will be answered. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't, but what it goes on to say is this, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, that is what Hannah experienced that day, the peace of God. Can we be like Hannah? Can we be like Hannah tonight and cast our burdens onto Jesus? All our anxieties onto him because he cares for us. Thirdly, we see that Hannah's prayer was a prayer of sacrifice. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. A prayer of sacrifice. You see, at first glance, it almost seems like Hannah was trying to bargain with God. Doesn't it? She said, if you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. But I don't think that was Hannah's intention at all. I think she's revealing now a new understanding. For you see, Hannah has nothing to bargain with. 
Hannah has nothing to bargain with. She was simply making a vow to give back to God that which was already his. Maybe having worked through years of barrenness, she realized for the first time that something that she'd never realized before. Maybe she realized that children are not just for the parents, but children are for the Lord. Children are given to parents, yes, loaned for a while. But the reason they are given is for the Lord to use. Certainly the accounts indicate this. This little boy, Samuel, who would ultimately be born, he was God's man and he was powerfully used by God. Undoubtedly, God had taught Hannah much through those years of barrenness. And now with all earnestness, she prays. She prays that God would have what he wants. That God would have a man for his glory and his purposes. And that he would allow her simply to be an instrument of that blessing. When the Lord would grant her the gift of a son, Hannah would give him up for the blessing of others. So as we come to God tonight in prayer this evening, what is he maybe asking us to give up for the blessing of others? We also see that Hannah's prayer was a prayer of persistence. A prayer of persistence. Verse 12 says, As she kept on praying to the Lord. You see, Hannah kept on praying to the Lord. Year after year after year, she went up to the house of the Lord and she kept on worshiping and she kept on praying. Through the barrenness, through the broken heart, through the desert place. Just like that persistent widow of Jesus' parable recorded for us in Luke 18. Just like Paul's advice to us in 1 Thessalonians 5, to pray without ceasing. Now, it's not like as though we pray and pray and pray and pray until somehow the the weight of our prayers tips the balance on some set of scales that God has, and and then he answers our prayers. It's, It's not. No, but persistent prayer does show that we are serious about our relationship with God. And it does show that we demonstrate our faith in him to hear and answer our prayers in accordance with his perfect will and purposes. And lastly, lastly, Hannah's prayer was a prayer that was answered. It was a prayer that was answered. It tells us in verses 19 and 20 that early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then they went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When her family returned home, God answered her prayer and gave her a son. But notice here that it says, In the course of time. And that's important because it was in the course of God's time. You see, so often when we pray, or maybe every time we pray, we want our prayers answered yesterday, don't we? But we must leave our prayers with God. And we must trust that he will answer them in his time and in his way. And when her son was born, she gave him the name Samuel. And Samuel comes from two Hebrew words, which when we put them together in English, it means heard by God. Samuel means heard by God. 
You see, Hannah's prayer had been heard by God. It had been heard by God and had been answered by him in accord with his perfect will and purposes for both Hannah, his child, and Israel, his nation. So the child was conceived, the boy was born, the prophet preached, kings were crowned, and the nation was changed. But again, let's remember where this whole process all started. It all began with Hannah in prayer. So do we want to see God at work in our own lives, filling us with faith and hope and love? Do we want to see a church that rises up full of grace and truth, proclaiming and obeying God's word? Do we want to see our nation turn back to God, back to the King of kings and Lord of lords, and give him all the glory? Then we need to start with Hannah in prayer. We need to start with prayer because that's where it all starts. Just as I finish. Folks, that means in prayer in our private devotions. It means at prayer in room one on Wednesday evenings here at half seven. And it means in prayer in church on Sundays. And if you're away from Orangefield over the summer, then let me encourage you to join with a local congregation wherever you are. Because when you do, you will be a blessing to them. And you will be blessed as together you unite with God's people in prayer. In a moment, we're going to take just a few moments here in God's presence. He is present with us by his Holy Spirit, by his word, in his church. And we're going to take a few moments in his presence in prayer. We'll have a time of silent prayer and Uh, If you'd like someone to pray with you after the service, then please speak with me or someone else from the church that you would feel comfortable uh, praying for you. But just as the, the group come back up again to lead us, in Psalm 102, King David writes, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Turn your ear to me. When I call, answer me. And we come now to God in prayer. And we may bring prayers of adoration or confession, of thanksgiving or of intercession. But let's remain in his presence and come to him in prayer. And let's pray in the silence of our own hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank you that by your Spirit, We can call you Abba, Father. That by your grace, we can enter your presence. And that in faith and trust, we can leave our prayers with you. That we can offer you our prayers of adoration, confession, of thanksgiving, of intercession. And that we can know that you will hear and answer our prayer in accord with your perfect will and purposes so that you will have all the glory. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer, for we pray with thanksgiving in the power of the Spirit for your glory alone and in the name of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.